Um, one of the things I know about Bill Hamill, too, is he had a dream for the EFCA, a, uh, a dream that probably if he didn't have it, I wouldn't be standing here now, um, or there wouldn't have been a Dante Upshaw who uh, was so well-loved because he really empowered all people to do what we can, the all people department is the department we're part of, to do what we can to serve the churches. And his hope was that one day EFCA would be such a diverse congreg- uh, you know, a group of churches um, and that it would please God in that way. Now, that being said, I say that I would, I would dare say that I look out across this congregation and it might be that what Bill would have wanted is something like this on a larger scale. You guys may not know how blessed you are to sit in this congregation, but you know, most congregations, when people go into congregations across the nation, they go in and they see people just like them. There's nothing wrong with that. And at the same time, God loves to see the diversity of peoples together. In fact, that's where the trajectory of every church is headed, according to Revelation 7-9, right? That all people around the nation of different tongues, tribes, nations, and, uh, and, and ethnicities will be around the, t- the throne worshiping God. And so I don't know how ble- if you know how blessed you are, but this, I'm blessed. And, and I have to tell you, you guys look really beautiful. Y'all look good. I mean, I know I look good. But y'all look much better. I shouldn't say that. That's, that's, that's a prideful comment, right? Okay, I don't know I look good. I'm going to false humility. I don't look so good. Okay. But um, hey, I, no, really, I think you guys are beautiful out there. And, uh, and I think uh, we hope that many of our churches can do something similar. Um, but I thought that we would, um, we would acknowledge Bill's contribution to, to this office. Um, yeah, I, I'd also want to say um, the... the uh, the, the, the passage that we're looking at today, I think I didn't say this in the last service, and, and I didn't get to, I, won't, I don't know how, um, how much time, we're, I forget where I actually end today, so somebody might have to you know, pause it. But I would say I'm preaching this passage because, you know, as I think about what I'm getting ready to talk about, it, it's something that I wrestle with quite often. And, and you'll hear it in a moment, but it's, it's just loving people well. Something that I wrestle with. If I look at myself really closely, and so I'm preaching it not to you as in you have to do this, but as in we can do this well if God would empower us. We will need to do this. And, and we're, we're stepping out uh, to the revelation. I know Pastor Andrew told me you guys had already gone through the revelation, so this is not a recap or rehash of that. It is simply to take a particular thought in, in one space in the, res- in, in, in the revelation to get us to rethink it. Um, just a little bit so that as the church of Jesus Christ, we can be those kinds of people who are, are attractive to the body because of how we look to one another. I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about that in a little bit. But let's, let's go ahead and read, um, just, just to say the revelation of John chapter 2 is where Jesus begins to speak to the seven churches in Asia. And the first congregation he actually speaks to is that of Ephesus. John the Apostle, he interprets the vision that he has from the Lord Jesus as he was exiled on the island of Patmos. And I believe there's a word for for us from God there. I believe that the word is this. And here's the main point of the, the service, the main point of this message, that we love God most completely when we are loving people most completely. Or I might say it like this, we love God most completely only when we are loving people most completely. So 
Listen to what John says, and then I want to pray. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands. He says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember then from how far you've fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember then, uh, excuse me, otherwise I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Let's pray. Father, um, your word is what's important here, that we hear your voice is what's really important. So I ask that you would speak. Use my tongue, Lord, to, to, to speak how you would. Uh, let our own meditations and our own thoughts, Lord, be acceptable to you. You are our strength and you are our redeemer. And God, we would just trust that your word would do what it needs to do. God, where my humanity would filter out uh, the, the clarity of the word of God, I pray that you would continue to carry it on in your spirit to the, to the persons in the pews here, Lord, today. And that you would keep us grounded and, and focused on what you would want us to hear today, God. May your name be lifted up, not just because we hear it, but as the, help us to take it from here and glorify your name as we live it, O oh God. Thank you for what you're going to do and say. We thank you for your word that does not return void, but actually accomplishes what it sets out to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, the church at Ephesus was started by Paul around 1960, or 1960. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. That's <laughs> a little, little off. Well, I was a few years off. Uh, <laughs> Uh, A.D. 60 is what I meant to say, uh, around 30 years before the, this particular letter that John just wrote, that he wrote. Um, it was written about 30 years before that. And for the most part, the church at Ephesus continued to serve God well. Their accomplishments were quite extensive, as you read there. But Jesus actually chides them uh, in verse 4 because something was missing. And what he says to them helps us to learn this truth that we love God most completely when we love the saints of God most completely. It was at Ephesus where this church witnessed God's work through Paul's ministry. It was so strong that the Bible says in Acts chapter 19, 11, that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. And in Acts 19 and 12, so that even uh, it tells us that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. It was at Ephesus that an evil spirit caused one man to attack the Jewish exorcists who tried to carry, cast him out. The spirit speaking through the man said, listen, Jesus, I know, Paul, I recognize but who are you? And since they weren't, that person wasn't, those seven sons of Sceva is what they're known as. Since they were not connected with Jesus, 
He attacked them, this man did, and left them bleeding. And the Bible said because of that, that both Jewish people and Greek people had great fear of the Lord. That was at Ephesus. It was at Ephesus in Acts 19.18 that people who believed in Jesus came confessing their sin and changing their life's practices. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 19 and 20 that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And when you want that to be said about Solano Church, right, that, that the word of the Lord at Solano, this community church, would continue to increase and prevail mightily. Wouldn't you want that to be said? In other words, Ephesus early on actually had shown great love for Jesus, and they demonstrated that love by giving up their old ways and holding on to God's truth and not false truth. And here, 30, maybe 40 years later, they continued to do these things. They continued to hold on to Jesus. But there was one thing that they started with but, and now had left it behind. In fact, Jesus said, if you didn't return to retrieve it, I would remove the lampstand from its place. Now, the lampstand that we see in, in chapter 2, verse 5 here, Jesus speaks of, is first spoken of in chapter 1. Jesus explains to John that these lampstands are the seven churches in Asia. When John encounters Jesus in this vision, in verse 12, he sees Jesus standing in all his glory and his power. Jesus was described like this, according to John. He says, he was one like the Son of Man, trying to describe his divinity. He was clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest, trying to describe his high priestly nature. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow, trying to describe Jesus's radiance. His eyes were like a flame of fire, attempting to describe Jesus's truth and justice, that he discerns truth and justice, like the writer of Hebrews says. Uh, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, attempting to describe that Jesus is the judge who will one day stamp out unrighteousness. And his voice was like the roar of many waters, attempting to describe that Jesus was very powerful. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, which identified Jesus as the authority and protector and the leader of the churches. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, which means that Jesus is and speaks the word of God. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength, which talked about Jesus' overwhelming nature and the glory of Jesus in its full strength. Now, through this description, John was communicating two realities. First, he was showing us Jesus in his complete and glorious state. And second, he was showing us that Jesus relates to the churches in each of these ways. So it's an incomplete thought then to think of Jesus as only high priestly and disseminating love and on your side in everything when you live a particular way. But it's equally diminishing to think of Jesus as only judge who wants to judge you for your sin. Rather, the many aspects of our Savior shows that he's both all at once. Jesus is that one who can convict us while demonstrating love to us. And the, and the writer of Hebrews even said, when he does that, you need to know that's him showing you love. That you need to know that as children of God, because God is a, a great father, he, 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 he reproves us, he disciplines us. 
And that's what Jesus is. He's both judge and savior all at once, not one forsaking the other, not one overlooking the other. And here Jesus explains to John that these lampstands, and we're still in chapter one, uh, represent churches. The image of the lampstands is intended to represent the fact that the churches of Jesus Christ are those who bring light to the world. And wouldn't you love that to be said about Solano, right? That you are a church that truly brings light to the world. I believe you are, and I pray that we would continue on together to do that very thing. And the fact that Jesus stands in the center of the churches is representative that he is, Jesus alone, is the glorious high priest in the churches who mediates the church's final position with God the Father. That's what John is seeing in chapter 1. Jesus tells them, though, this church at Ephesus, as we move to chapter 2, what it is that they don't have anymore. And what he says to them, he means for us also. We're only going to look at what verse 4 kind of spells out for us. So we read verses 1 through 7, but I just want to point your thoughts to verse 4. And here's what Jesus demonstrates in verse 4, or says to them in verse 4. He says, you've left your first love. That's what some of your Bibles say. And whenever we hear this phrase, left your first love, we assume or we have heard that it means that Ephesus had left their love of Christ behind. But the phrase is more accurately rendered when we say you've left the love you had at first. And everywhere this is explained, whether you use one phrase or the other phrase, everywhere it is explained, people say that the Ephesian church had left their love for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm convinced that that may be true to a degree, but it seems that Jesus must mean something else. I don't think he was saying you left your first love and that love is me. That doesn't seem to be what he's saying if we take a more holistic view of the New Testament asking what Jesus might have meant by that phrase. Why, do I, why don't I think that? Because he had just told them about how proud he was for working hard in the church at Ephesus while they patiently waited for his return. How they tested apostles and were holding up under persecution and stress. And they did all of this, he says, for Jesus, for his namesake is what John says. It did not seem that loving Jesus was their problem. Rather, if we look into the book of Ephesians, I think we see more clearly why Jesus was willing to to, to remove the lampstand from its place. See it in Ephesians chapter 1 if you want to turn there. Um, Verse 15, over 30 years earlier, Paul wrote to the church sharing with them about all the spiritual blessings they had and how they were brought back by God and how they will now inherit heaven and earth because they trusted in Jesus. And while he tells them this, he gives them what I think Jesus means when he said, you've left the love you had at first. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 15, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and hear it, your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What we see here is that at the time Paul wrote this letter, the Ephesian church had, listen to it, a great faith in Jesus, but a love for all the saints to match. They had a great faith in Jesus 
that caused them to do all of these wonderful things in the church, but they had a love for all the saints to match that faith. And Jesus says, your faith in me is still standing strong, but your love for all the saints of God around you has been left behind. If you don't go get it, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Paul says a similar thing, by the way. This is not a one-off we see in the Revelation, that this is a New Testament theme that we want to adhere to and, and, and run after, pursue it, so that we as the church can be an attractive church to the, 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 the rest of the world, but so that we, in our, we can be pleasing to God. The Bible says not just there in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, or Ephesians 1, 15, but Paul says a similar thing to Philemon in chapter 1, verse 5 in the book of Philemon. He says, because I hear about, listen, your love for all your, the, his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. That's what he says to Philemon. And again, he says to the church at Colossae in chapter 1, verse 4, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for God's people. And what Paul's letter in Ephesians seems to show us is that in the Ephesian church, even at that time, they must have been struggling with holding on to love. In Ephesians, he told them to remember that you are no longer strangers and foreigners anymore, separated from Jews who at one time had strained, you at one time had strained relationships with. But because of Jesus, you are fellow citizens and you as fellow citizens need to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit in peace. Isn't that what we would want to be said about Solano Church, that you strive to make sure that unity is kept among all the different kinds of people in your, in your existence around here, right? That's what we want every church to experience, right? The unity that crosses racial and ethnic and, and socioeconomic and cultural lines so that there are no big I's and little U's. There's just us, but, the, but, but, but that we're not all the same. We're different, and we still need to practice then loving one another. Here's, here's what we need to understand. The danger of us as Christians is that we can be fooled into thinking that we are loving God when we're not even loving each other well. That's the danger of being a Christian. You can be fooled into thinking that you're loving God well because you're doing a great deal of work for him when you're not loving each other well. And for this reason, Jesus removes the lampstands from its place. In other words, he allows our churches to die. He allows them to close and no longer be effective in their cities. I think it's a very interesting statement that Jesus says in John chapter, uh, John chapter 17, verse 22. Jesus makes a statement. He says, I have given them the glory that you have given me. He says this to the Father. This is Jesus. John 17 is Jesus' last prayer. It's the longest prayer in the New Testament. And as Jesus expressing his thoughts to God, he expresses the three things. And in that third thought, one of the things he says is, I have given, Father, I've given the glory that you gave me to the church. Now, Jesus was a, of a Jewish background. And when the Jews spoke of glory of God, the Old Testament way of thinking of that was the weight of God, the heaviness of God, the gravitas of God, so that when people thought of God, there was a seriousness about 
thinking of him. There was a reality that this God is weighty. And, God, and Jesus says he had received glory from God, but that weight that he had received from God, he gave it to the church. And I'm concerned today that perhaps the weight that with, with which people might see the church is lost or lightened because we might not love one another so well. Does that make sense? Amen? Yeah, I don't feel too many of y'all. <laughs> Thank all three of y'all for speaking up. <laughs> I hope that makes sense to you, that you and I don't love God well unless you love one another well. In fact, consider what John says in another place, not in the Revelation, but in 1 John. He says in 1 John 4.20, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. By the way, let me, let me bring in the other. When you think about hatred there, right? Hatred is not necessarily, in the Hebrew way of using the word, not necessarily whether or not I have some animosity towards you. It's just that I may not be acting in your best interest and I'm not showing affection towards you. Do you remember what the Bible says about Jacob and Rachel and Leah? The Bible says, Jake, Rachel, Jacob loved, but Leah was hated. Do you remember that story in the Bible? Here, there was nothing that Jacob never said, I hate you, Leah. But there was a way that he was treating Leah that Leah had to only interpret that certainly he doesn't love me like he loves her. And I'm convinced that in our churches, we would do a better job of attracting people if they could see amongst one another that we love one another. And not just in Solano Church, but from Solano to the next church over, maybe the, the church, not, not just the next EFCA church, but the church outside of our denomination, anyone who names the name of Christ, that if we love one another well, Jesus makes a promise that if you love one another well, men will then know you are my disciples. That's what God wants for us. And it's significant that he doesn't say like your enemy. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King says it like this. He says it's significant that God doesn't say like people, right? Like, he says, is a sentimental offering, an affectionate something. There are a lot of people that I find it difficult to like. I don't like what they do to me. I don't like what they say about me or other people. I don't like their attitudes. I don't like what some of the things, I don't like some of the things they're doing. I don't like them. But King goes on to say, Jesus says, love them, and love is greater than like. Love is understanding, redemptive goodwill for all men so that you love everybody because God loves them. You refuse to do anything that will defeat an individual because you have agape, that is a word for love, a Greek word for love, and it's, it's an all-encompassing love, agape in your soul. That's what Martin Luther King said. And Jesus says, if a church doesn't return love, he'll remove its lampstand from its place. Now, where does this apply to us? It may be possible that this is applying to us as we consider the present climate of the American churches. 
At this time, there seems to be a volatile spirit within the church that is spurred on, listen, by our political, social, and racial alignments. That even as Christians, quite often, we're more likely to align ourselves with our political, social, and racial groups than we do with the Lord Jesus. So let me make it more plain that if you are a Republican and you follow Jesus, you need to put those things in order there. If you're a Democrat and you follow Jesus, you need to put those things in order. And if it comes out that your Democratic uh, political following stands above your relationship with Jesus, you might want to check who you really are. If you're black or you're white or you're uh, Asian in some way, shape, or form or uh, uh, one of the many of the groups that we look at and you choose to put that kind of identity above your identity in the Lord Jesus Christ, you might want to check that. Because, Because you can't really, we can't fully love one another when our identity in Christ is not primary. And we need to be really careful about that. And I'm seeing that today. I think you've seen it. And of course, I think the election brought a great deal of that out. Um, that, that, you know, and, and certainly we can see these things on social media, we can, social media quite easily. But as of late, for example, the New York Times wrote an article about black people leaving evangelical congregations. And just a few months earlier, John Piper responded to Christian rapper Lecrae, who said he was leaving evangelicalism. And in particular, he was leaving white evangelicalism. Now, that's, that's a term, that's an important phrase that we, we can't hash out today, but we need to consider what was it that Lecrae was trying to leave um, and what was it that the African-Americans were trying to leave within evangelicalism. Uh, not only that, there was a, prior to that, um, there were four different notable people of color a year prior to all of that speaking on leaving evangelicalism. Now, the question is, why do these persons want to leave evangelicalism? And it's because the love that is spoken of in the Bible and from evangelicals some, quite often is not tending to transfer from certain evangelicals to other evangelicals. They're looking for love in the right place, in the church, but not finding it, but not finding it amongst one another. And I believe because of this, Jesus could remove the lampstand from the American church. Now, you, you, I, by now, I hope you're thinking, you're thinking racially, right? Because racially, we have not gotten this right yet. We have not been victorious in so many other, we, we've been victorious in so many other areas, but in the matters of race, in this nation, the church has been more complicit than distracting, dis- destructive to the racial problems that we have. And Solano, I'm calling on you. I pray that today God would use you to love one another in here. And what a beautiful picture of what it looks like if you can love one another in here well, and if you can love other EFCA congregations well that are different from you, I guarantee you we can see Jesus' promise. The guarantee is not mine. It's his own promise. He makes the deal. He says it. He says if we love one another, men will know that uh, that they're his disciples. And that's what we're aiming for. But Jesus doesn't leave the churches without hope, by the way. He says, if you turn back to the love you had at first, that is, loving all of God's people, that he will grant you to eat 
from the heavenly tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The Bible says, tells us about this tree of life in Revelations 22 and 2, where it says, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. Isn't that what we want now, to see the nations healed? And we can take from that tree, but there are ways that we can do it right now. It certainly involves loving one another. Now, no church is perfect. Every church has their definition of what it is to be excellent. And many churches work very hard in the name of Christ. But with all that we might be as a church, can we, can, can Solano Community Church, can the EFCA, uh, can me as an individual, you as an individual, learn to be the kind of people and the kind of church that chooses to love all who come in? The Bible says, do good to everyone, especially to the household of faith. It's not, God is not trying to create a separatist organization there. What he's saying is, if you can do good to your people inside, then people in, the outside would say, that's someplace I can be. I'd love to be inside with them. It's kind of like if I see you fighting amongst your own family and y'all hate each other, I really don't want to be a part of your family. I got my own family I can be a part of. We can fight and hate each other. I don't need to be a part of your mess. You see what I mean? And the church has that thing going on. We need to be mindful of that. Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm talking beyond our doctrinal differences where we might disagree. I'm talking about real life. We have some real emotional attachments to things that divide us from one another, and God would not be pleased with that. He would say, no, no, even if you don't like that person, you love. You love. So no church is perfect, but we have to, do, we have to learn to do this. Now, we have to consider to actively seek and cultivate the best possible outcome of life for the other person, even at our own expense. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, hey, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others also. That's what he said, right? And what is wonderful about that for us is we actually have a wonderful example of that. We have the living Lord Jesus who went to the garden just prior to his crucifixion. And who said, you know what, truth be told, Father, I don't want to do this. And if we were to look back through the New Testament, we could probably consider that there were some of those apostles Jesus ain't like. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure he didn't like Judas, but he died for Judas too. And Judas is the son of perdition, so we know he's lost. But, but the rest of them, the apostles were kind of a headache. We can ready to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a second. And you know what? When we, what's crazy about that, right? They had a fight right at the Lord's Supper. Y'all remember that? Wasn't that? Y'all know they, they fought about who was greatest right before the Lord's Supper, and Jesus had to check them on it. And, and so Jesus probably didn't like the disciples all the time. But he loved them, and he loved them so much that he stretched out his hands and experienced the nails in his hands and in his feet and the crown of thorns on his head. He took beatings for them, and the blood ran, and the blood ran to wash them of their sin, not because he liked them, but because he loved them. And I'm saying to you, my friends, that's what it must look like in the church, in Solano Church. That's what it must look like prayerfully in the Evangelical Free Church of America. And I'll say it like this, like, the, the, like, like Paul in Romans says it. When we were still without strength 
In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. For a good man, one might perhaps die. But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If Christ could die for us and give his life for us while we were still sinners opposing him against him, then he expects us to do it the same even amongst this redeemed group of people. And if we do it, my friends, then we will be a part of helping the promises of Jesus become real, that people will know that there is a God in heaven who loves them in spite of them because you're loving one another in spite of the, the things that we might experience amongst one another. I pray that you'll do it, Solano. That's my, my hope for you. Look at chapter 4 and recognize it's not loving Jesus that's always our problem. It's loving one another. Oh, Father, help us to do it. We would say we need you, God. We, will, we are weak on our own, and, uh, and sometimes, Father, we just don't want to, uh, to give in to loving one another. I've been there, Lord. I'm there many times, oh, God. The apostles were there, Father. And so it's no, it's no surprise that many of us would be there. But God, I ask you to go even further and help us to do this across our political and social and racial lines so that we could be the people of God who show God in society. We could be the people of God who show God in the church. and We could be the people of God who are one with you in the same way that Jesus is one with you. Father, touch anyone who's really difficult, really struggling with this, oh God. Touch anyone who's in need of just knowing how to love people who are different from them uh, and, and being able to accept them. Help us all, Lord, to, to, to know how to really uh, open our hearts, our heads, and our hands to people who are different from us so that the gospel of Jesus can be proclaimed. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.